You're listening to the GNU World Order, episode 36 for season 13, for the 244th day of 2019. Hey everybody, my name's Klaatu, and I am back in New Zealand. Yes, I've been away, I've been traveling to Raleigh, North Carolina, and then to San Diego for the Open Source Summit after that, and now I'm back in New Zealand. That means I'm back on my Slackware machine, which is great, because... Now we can continue with the, our tour of all the different commands installed on your Linux computer by default that you probably didn't even know were there. Of course, I'm, I'm structuring that around my Slackware box because Slackware is, um, I don't know if it's, I should say famously, but but it is, if you look at it, it is, it is boldly a, a pretty, a, a sort of a everything in the kitchen sink kind of distribution. You get the, the disk, or the, or the image anyway, the ISO image, and you have everything in the distributions repository on the disk. That's it. The repository and the disk are the same. Now, you don't find that in other distributions like Debian or, or Fedora. You, you get a, a, a download, the ISO image, or, or whatever, and you know the net install image, whatever you, you might be installing, you get that, and it's it's the OS, it's the thing that you need to run, and with, with some token applications usually installed that the distribution maintainers think ought to be installed. But they they do this with a with a knowledge that their online repositories contain a lot more than than what they've what they've provided on the, the DVD or the ISO image. So Slackware doesn't d- does a little does it a little bit differently. What what you get is what the distribution maintainer has, and that's it. Now we're all we're all we're all equal. Everything beyond that is extra. That's where Slack builds and and third party repositories come into play. So anyway, all of that aside, we're going through all of the different applications or all the different commands that you find on a Linux box, like Slackware, or that you could install on your Linux box um, from a repository. So this is this is kind of this is overkill in a way, but but I think it's demonstrative of of just how much goes on on a Linux computer that a lot of us don't think of every day. And I think I've got some good examples of that today as we continue our tour through the util Linux package. We're in the user bin directory. We've almost finished the I's, and I think today we'll get through the L's. That is my that is my anticipation because they're not they're not they're not really crazy commands. They're they're kind of kind of a quick the things that we should be able to look look at pretty quickly. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about Slackware. Let's do that. First of all, if you haven't tried Slackware. You should go to gnuworldorder.info, listen to episode 01 of this series. It is marked 01 because uh, I wanted it to be sticky, as it were, at the top of the of the feeds, or bottom of the feeds maybe, I'm not sure, but it's, it's 01 is the Slackware Linux special episode. It will step you through everything you need to know when trying if you want to, to try Slackware. And I think that's a valuable thing because you can try Slackware, but when you boot, you might be a little bit lost as to where to go next. So 
a lot of a lot of the value add in zero one is kind of that that part where you have to figure out where to go next. Now, if you've never tried Linux at all, you should go to the same website, gnuworldorder.info, and check out episode zero zero. But I said let's talk about Slackware, and the reason we should talk about Slackware is because there is a new way to support Slackware, and that is on Patreon. Yeah, if you go to patreon.com slash slackware linux, this is the confirmed actual donation home page for Patrick Volkerding, the founder and maintainer of the Slackware Linux project. He's been doing this since 1993, and it it is the longest active Linux distribution since, you know, it's the longest living active uh, Linux distribution, so that's kind of cool. He has, very humbly, a, a single-tier system, $1 or more a month. Uh, he doesn't give you anything in return. He's not going to send you swag. He's not going to send you special prizes or make special posts as far as i can tell it is simply a way for you to throw money at the person behind slackware so if you use slackware or if you respect slackware or if you just want to see slackware continue for whatever reason then go to patreon.com slackware linux and and pledge pledge to support patrick volkerding for some amount of money per month don't do this if you can't afford it. It's not worth it. Trust me. Uh, you should you should not redirect money in weird ways if, if you're scraping by. But if you are one of those people who, like me, has found themselves in a position where every month you can afford to give a little bit back to something, then this is not a bad thing to give to, uh, depending on your use case. Obviously, uh, Slackware is certainly the, the basis for really for this podcast. I mean, it has been produced on Slackware um, pretty much nonstop. I mean, there have been exceptions because I might have been on a different laptop that day or whatever, but I mean, it's, it's, it's basically always been produced on Slackware. It has been... It, it, it drives... Slackware itself drives my multimedia site, slackermedia.com, or .info. So it is kind of the basis for, for really most of what I do with computers. And for that reason, I have contributed to the Patreon account thing. Patreon itself is not a free software service. It is a service as a uh, it's a service as software as a service. It is online. It is you know if if it goes away or if it does something stupid like starts to charge people extra money for giving money, then Patrick Volkerding will lose his his platform. And I think that's probably a bridge that he will decide to cross when when he comes to it. Um, there are alternatives to Patreon. There's uh, LiberaPay is one of them, which had a couple of problems on its own lately because of um, trying to find someone to 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 send money through. It, it it's, seems quite complex to deal with bank things, and LiberaPay had had to had to kind of get over that but as far as i know it it has gotten over that uh and it's a little bit different than patreon but certainly the mind share of libera pay is not necessarily the same as as patreon 
And so I imagine that probably influenced Patrick Volkerding's decision to go with Patreon. Or maybe he just doesn't care that it's a software as a service that isn't free. I don't know. I don't know the man. I didn't uh, I've talked to him, but I've, I did not talk to him about Patreon. So there you go. Patreon.com slash Slackware Linux. That is the authentic location. Currently he has 372 patrons. And he's making 1851. That's 1,851 U.S. dollars per month, which isn't too bad. That's um, that's a pretty good amount, I think. But I don't know his situation either. I don't know where he lives. I don't know how he lives. I don't know how many people he has to support. So, and and of course, there's no guarantee that this will continue. So, if you can pitch in, I think that's a good idea. The other update on Slackware, I guess, is um, when is Slackware 15 coming out anyway? I think I even asked that some time ago on this on this ser- on this uh, what is this called a series uh, show on this show. Um, I think someone had asked me, and so I said uh, probably not for a while. Give it another at least six months. Um, I think that's what I said. Probably, uh, maybe I I probably said I didn't know because I don't know, and I still don't know. And I was thinking the other day, it does kind of feel like it's time for a new Slackware. What, what's going on? So I went to the site. Now I've got the change. The change log of Slackware is my like when I launch Firefox, that's what comes up is the change log of Slackware. So I'm I'm pretty uh, tuned in on on what on what gets committed to to the the repository or to the, the to the you know to the current iteration the, the development copy of slackware but i i still wasn't i i didn't i went to this the website and i looked and and it realized july 1st 2016 is when 14.2 came out which means that it's really only been 3 years i mean it's 2019 as i record this and it's just september now so or day 244 specifically so it's kind of it's kind of funny that i mean it's three years isn't isn't really that long of a time actually um and certainly i i don't i i can't be bothered to scroll down enough to figure out when 14.1 was released but there there's activity in 2013 prior to the 14.2 announcement so it, it was at least three years between one 14 one and 14 two so yeah it's not actually this is this is very very standard this the the time span that we are experiencing right now between 14.2 and 15 or whatever it's going to be 14.3 14.4 I don't know um, whatever the next one's going to be three years is is yeah that's kind of we're, we're in the right sort of frame here. So do not despair. Do not get impatient. I might do an episode sometime about switching to current because that's always a good topic. Um, but I'm not sure. Around this time, I, I feel like I do start to get tempted to switch to current, at least on on some computer, not my main computer. I never run current or unstable on my main computer. That's madness. Um, but but I'm not sure. I mean, because it is interesting sometimes, but it's current. It, it could break. So uh, recently, August 29, so that was um, uh, specifically, that would have been day uh, 241. There were some commits to uh, some kernel updates. Uh, a new Emacs version was upgraded a new Vim, for whatever that's worth, and uh, a new Thunderbird was upgraded. So there are regular commits happening. There's just not really any indication of 
where we are in the in that great big roadmap of the next release. And I think the next release will be kind of exciting in many ways because I mean that'll be KDE5. That'll be Slackware with KDE5, which you know amazingly is not the experience of a Slackware user right now. If you're running Slackware 14.2, you're on KDE.4. So that's kind of interesting to know that people are still running KDE4 in 2019, and I am among those people. Okay, with all the Slackware stuff out of the way, let's move on to Utilinux. Next up in Utilinux, from where we left off last time, we, we left off with the IPC series last time, IPCMK, RM, and S. So now we're up to something called ISO size. ISO size, if I just type in ISO size and then type in the path to some ISO that I happen to have on my system, here's one, Fedora-KDE Live X6430. The ISO size is 18902-71232. So as you can imagine, that is that that's the expected. That's what it does. Um, the ISO size tells you the size of an ISO file, of an ISO 9660 file system. That That is all it does. Uh, if you do ISO size, I'll just do a control P to go previous, dash, dash, sectors, then we get a sector count, 922984. Sector size is 2048. Uh, we can also do a dash dash divisor and then some number. So um, let's do, well, let's do 2048 just to, to see what happens. That's 922984. And does that match the sector, the, the uh, sector count? Yes, it does. So the div, and, and then if we, so we could change that if we go to 4094. 461717. That sounds about right. It sounds roughly half. So, uh, yeah, you can, you can, in other words, change the way that you're interpreting the ISO 9660 image. Uh, the, its own description says, this command outputs the length of an ISO 9660 file system that is contained in the specified file. This file may be a normal file or a block device, such as dev HDD or dev SR0. In the absence of any options or errors, it will output the size of the file system in bytes. This can now be larger than 4 gigs. I guess it, at some point it used to not be true. So that's it. That's what ISO size does. I don't know what else to say. I mean, I've just basically overviewed the entire man page. Okay, so the next one then is line. And uh, again, it's a pretty short man page. So it says read one line. The utility line copies one line up to a new line from, a st fr from standard input to standard output. It always prints at least a new line and returns an exit status of one on end of file or read error. So let's give this a go. I'll do line and then I'll hit return. And then I'll type hello world and it accurately reads the, the, the phrase hello world and it spits it back out at me. And that's it. So I could also of course say echo hello world 
and then pipe that into line, and that would echo, or that would spit hello world back out at me. Now, I, I, I thought this was a, an unusual command, and I'd never heard of it, and I, I wasn't really sure why it was a thing. So I found, I found on the, in the git repository of, of util Linux itself, the source code for line. It's an 84 line application. Uh, probably about, I would, I would estimate, let's say, I'm just gonna throw a number out here. 20 lines of those are either comments or blank lines. It appears to be a public domain licensed uh, little command. It, it is it is not like GPL or MIT or anything. It's public domain, and the the command, according to a commit, uh, you know, a recent commit, a fairly recent commit, uh, the command is uh, deprecated. The utility is in maintenance mode, meaning we keep them in source tree for backward compatibility only. Do not waste time making this command better unless the fix is about security or or other very critical issues. So we're not going to spend a whole lot more time on that one, I guess. That's kind of all we need to know. So the next one, then, is a logger. Enter messages into the system log. This one can be really handy. I've used this before, particularly when debugging some kind of tricky situation on the computer or maybe when I'm um, when, when I'm testing something like you know a UDEV script or something wonky like that so logger inserts messages into a systems log by default on Slackware the system log that it inserts messages into is slash var slash log slash messages that might be different on other systems so if you try logger out on your system and it doesn't end up in slash var slash log slash messages then it's probably just configured to go somewhere else. First of all, you need syslog or journal D to be running in order for this to work. Otherwise, you don't have logs. Not everyone realizes that. On my on my workstation, my Slackware workstation, I actually don't have sys. I don't have a logger running usually. I'll I'll turn it on when on an as needed basis, and I realize that that's kind of crazy talk because you, you don't. Very frequently, you don't know that you need a log until you until you need it, right? That like that's when you needed the log is because something happened and you wanted to find out why. And oh, you don't the logging wasn't turned on, so I have no record of what was going on in the sort of the deep underworld of my computer. And 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 I realize that, but I'm I, I kind of know my workstation, and I've I've found that the logging on that really I, I don't really care about if i encounter a problem i will restart or whatever needs to happen start a logger and then see if i can repeat the and repeat the error um otherwise i just don't really happen to need it so now on my laptop i i run a logger because that's um that's a different situation different use case but for so for my main Workstation, the one that I'm using right now, doesn't typically use syslog. So I, I activate that, first of all. I do a sudo sh slash etsy slash rc.d slash rc.syslog start, and that starts the syslogger. So now I've got a systems log running, and that, that populates a couple of different files in the, in the var log directory. Now if I do logger hello world, 
literally just that logger space hello space world so no quotes no nothing just logger space hello world that has just inserted and it's kind of a silent command it doesn't really doesn't tell me a whole lot but I'll, I'll do a cat slash var slash log slash messages and it tells me that permission is denied so I'll do sudo cat var log messages it spits it out and there's my there's my message at Thirteen oh seven twenty nine on this host on my local host uh, from user class to hello world. There we go. I've successfully inserted a message into that log. Now you can you can get a little bit of feedback if you want. You can do logger dash s or dash dash stderr. So that's standard error. And then you're, you're inserting the message and you're sort of getting it getting it repeated to you on the in your terminal, so you can kind of get instant feedback of of what's getting put into the log. It doesn't doesn't really tell you a whole lot. It just kind of if you need that little bit of of confirmation that yes something happened, then then there you go. Um, you can you don't you don't have to do your logging to your local host. You can you can define a separate place. So in a server room or a data center or something like that then you're probably not logging on the same machine but for for the reasons that I've kind of explained if if something happens then you you want access to logs whether that machine for instance will boot back up or not sending your logs off not off site but but off of a, to to a to a remote machine kind of ensures that you've got access to those logs no matter what you can specify the, the destination, or the, rather the location of a log, by uh, by the dash dash server argument, or the dash n if you're lazy, uh, or and the dash dash port, or dash capital P for the, the 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 port to send this through, and then you can even specify the the protocol that you want to use, either dash dash UDP or dash dash TCP. By default, it'll try UDP and then fail over to TCP as a second attempt, uh, but you can sort of tell it explicitly what you want rather than making it guess if you want to. All right, so what's what's actually happening here is when we when you send uh, when you send a message to to your log, what you're really doing, is you're doing a um, a message of the type well of the of the uh, in the facility and and a certain level so the facility is user and the level is info so if you go to man logger and scroll down it it, it talks a little bit about facilities and levels there are different facilities. There's, for instance, user. That's kind of the the obvious default one because you are when you're using Logger as a user, that that would be the, the obvious category into which your message would fall. Your it's a user message. Um, but there are others. There's auth. There's auth priv. There's cron, daemon, FTP, kern, LPR, mail, news, syslog, user, UUCP, local zero through local 7, and then security, which is deprecated. It's a synonym for auth. So the, those are considered, again, the facility definitions. 
The levels are things like emerge for emergency, alert, crit, error, ERR, um, warning, notice, info, debug, panic, error, and warn. So, and those last three, panic, error, and warn, are deprecated as well for emerge, error, and warning, respectively. Now, this kind of controls where your messages are sent. So, if you, if you you can define where these are these explicitly so if you do logger dash dash priority you can set with a the, the syntax is a facility dot and then the level so for instance if we do user dot info and then hello gnu and then we look at sudo cat var log messages we see hello GNU right there at the bottom, meaning that var log messages is actually the destination file for the for the user facility at the uh, at the the level the error the the logging level of uh, info, I think is what we said. And that's just kind of the the default so that's that's the normal behavior now you can do other things like uh, let's do I don't know mail dot info hello GNU and now I'll do a sudo cat var log mail log and there's a message from me to me in mail log okay so the 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 combination of facility and level is actually it's there's a bunch of weird math behind it it's something like the the number of the facility uh, category times eight plus the number of the level name, so you can you can calculate how to get from uh, from the from the English representation of category and level through math if you want to if you want to just refer to it as as a number. So for instance, um, we've got logger dash dash priority. This is kind of a cool one anyway. Space local zero dot emerge, E-M-E-R-G, and then space, and I'll just do um, foo space bar. Now that, that echoes the message to my terminal, but more importantly, in my system tray up here on the right-hand corner of my desktop, I have an alert. And it says local system message service message from syslog d at localhost at uh, uh, at 1321 uh, clatu foo bar. So I get a little uh, an alert, uh, an alert in my desktop based on the 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 message that I've just that I've just given myself. Now I can do the same thing. I mean that that's a neat thing right there. Just the fact that you can send sort of yourself system alerts through through Logger. So that's that's local zero dot emerge is the the function that I just used for that. Now if you do the the fancy math that they want you to do to figure all of this stuff out, then you can you can determine that local zero is something like I don't know something like 16 or or, or so. And then uh, the emergency level is the zeroth, so that, that that doesn't change it. So if I do priority 16, so logger dash dash priority space 16 space foo bar baz, just to make sure that we're looking at something different. Again, it kind of echoes it to my terminal, but it also pops this little 
message up in my system tray, and sure enough, it says local system message service, message from syslog D at localhost 1322 foobar baz from clad2. So you can you can convert all that stuff to numbers. You just have to count. You count down on the facility line one or zero one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve, and then you multiply that or something. I think you multiply it by eight. I think is the is the secret key for that. Uh, and then you add the the again. You give an index number to each level, and and you add the number of of that level to the, whatever number your facility resolved to, and that's and then you can use the number. I don't do that. That's that's um, a little bit too much too much thinking for me for just a simple system logging utility. But I can imagine that if you're using if you were using this and you were scripting it and so on, then then that might actually really really be useful to have to have numbers to to feed your computer rather than the English words. That is often that is often a, a very nice convenience to have. Okay, I think that's sort of everything on Logger. There's probably some some other really neat feature that I've overlooked, but I think that that covers a pretty good pretty good spectrum of of its probably possible or of its probable use case. Right now, I think it is definitely time to have a cup of coffee. I think you'll probably agree. And after coffee, we will take a look at Look. you have coffee i've got coffee um i haven't i haven't i i took a break um from being home uh so i haven't uh so i came back and i'm i'm just finishing off some coffee that i had before leaving i've not cracked into the next bag from carl's stash i am looking forward to it i did try the um one of the dark roasts before i left and it was amazing it was really really good I'm blanking on the name right now, but it is it's really, really, it was a nice bag of coffee, but it's gone. It's long gone. And uh, now I'm just doing another sort of, uh, some dark roast that I got from a uh, from some uh, store in a nearby town. It's funny, there's a local coffee brew, um, coffee roaster here, and I'm really eager to try out some of his coffee, but uh, the, the winter in this town that I'm that I've moved to, really seems to be sort of a, it's kind of the everyone sort of goes into hibernation is really it's really interesting. I mean now that it's it's turning spring now. I think today is technically the first day of spring, uh, September first, and so there's a little bit more life happening. Like yesterday, I went out for a walk uh, to get a a pastry, a, a cinnamon roll from the a cafe, the, pros, the Prospector Cafe, and um, it was delicious, by the way. And I looked around, and 
there were people out, like a considerable number of people, and it really sort of surprised me because, I mean, I've been here about a month now, and really it's sort of sort of a quiet little town, but but there were people. It was, it was really surprising. Uh, I don't know if that's indicative of what the spring and summer are going to be like or if it's just because there's activities happening in town right now. I'm not sure find out okay so the next um the next thing that we want to look at here is look and that displays lines beginning with a given string the look utility displays any lines in some file containing some string as look performs a binary search the lines in the file must be sorted where sort was given the name the, the same options uh, dash d or dash f that look is invoked with okay that's a bit of a mouthful, so let's just look at this. So we're, I'm going to make a, a, a sample file here called sample.txt. And the first line, I'll just do uh, foobar space baz. I'll do cooks space blah linux space slackware uh, bsd space net. Okay, there. We've got four lines in our, in our sample file. Now, remember the first line was foobar, right? I think. I'm almost sure that's correct. Yes, foobar. The second line was q-u-u-x, then Linux, then BSD. So the, obviously that's not alphabetical or anything like that. So now I'm going to do look, and we're going to look for foo. So look space foo space sample dot txt, and we get nothing. It's actually, I swear that's not what happened earlier when I was testing this out. But let's go with it. The point, the point is, well, so then, then we'll do look Linux space sample .txt, and we get nothing. So the point that I'm I'm trying to make is that maybe the man page is onto something when it tells you to sort the thing. So we'll do sort d sample .txt o for output sample sort .txt. Now we should be able to do a look space foo space sample dash sort dot txt and we get foobar space baz as expected uh, and then look linux sample dash sort dot txt and we get linux space slackware uh, and then we should be able to even do something really late in the alphabet like quux and we get quux blah in other words everything appears to be to be working correctly, no matter where it actually falls in the file. Now that it's been sorted. If it has not been sorted, look is pretty dumb and can't find it. Why would you use look instead of grep? I really don't know, to be honest. Um, yeah, that's a, I'm, I'm not 100% clear on the... on, on the purpose of look it seems like it's a command that that requires more prep than you would imagine it would need but I don't know maybe there's there's a good reason for it I'm not sure uh, for instance I mean we could just do look f sample dash sort dot txt and that gives us foobar baz and, and then I guess if we wanted to we could add another a line so after foobar we'll do a uh, fudge space whatever so now if we do a, a look 
F sample sort, we get foobar and fudge, so you get both of the 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 lines beginning with an F. Maybe that's a feature that would be difficult to emulate. I get, I honestly don't think it would be, but um, yeah, that's that's the look command. Hope you enjoyed that one. Was that worth uh, a coffee break? I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I mean, it was you know, coffee breaks are always worth doing. Um, but it is it that that one's a puzzler to me as well. If you know the 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 killer feature of a look, let me know. All right. So next is LSPC uh, LSCPU, and uh, this does pretty much what looking at slash proc slash uh, CPU or whatever it is. What is it? Slash proc slash CPU info. That's what it is. Gives you, except it's a little bit more concise. So LSCPU shows you the architecture of your CPU, the CPU op modes, so 32-bit and 64-bit in my case, byte order, little Indian, CPUs, 6, online CPU list, 0 through 5, threads per core, 2, cores per socket, and so on and so on, vendor ID, uh, CPU family, model name, all the details that you would need to know and could want to know about your CPU in one rather concise list. If you do just a cat on CPU info, you do typically get you, well, you get one block per per core or or per CPU depending on what your actual situation is. So you you might you know, you might consider that to be maybe more information you know, more iterations or more repetition than what you actually need. I don't know. LSCPU condenses it into a, a nice, easy-to-read screen dump, uh, and it's kind of nice. You can modify how it displays information to some degree. So LSCPU on its own just kind of gives you that sort of nice sort of key-value pair list for all the all the all the different attributes of your CPU or CPUs, you can look at an extended list, which the man page calls, it It says, display the CPU information in human-readable format. If the list argument is omit omitted, all columns for which data is available are included in the command output. So for instance, um, you can do lscpu-extended, and you get, I, I don't know, exactly why this is considered human readable and the other one I guess isn't but but this is a uh, it's a table showing which CPU it's referring to which socket which core um, it shows you some numbers that I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure it looks like the l1 l2 and l3 cache possibly but there's some other data in there that I'm not familiar with whether it's online or not, the maximum megahertz, the minimum megahertz, so it, it gives you gives you sort of a a laundry list of all the all the numbers associated with your CPU. Now you can change what the table shows you or what is included in the table with a dash dash extended equals and then whatever column name you want to see. So for instance, if you just want to see the numbers of CPUs that you have dash dash extended equals CPU, and then it just shows you 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. So you know you've got six CPU-like entities, whether they're cores or CPUs is probably really up to you to know. Um, you can do 
you, you can show only the offline cores or CPUs rather. You can show the online CPUs. None of this really applies to me. I don't have a system that, that's that, that's quite that complex in its layout. I've got I've got a CPU in my computer. It's got six cores. That's what it's going to show me no matter what. But that's that's LS CPU. It's a, a it's a relatively useful thing if you need to know more information about your CPU. And if you're really really scrubbing for data, then it's it, it does offer some easier. You know, you, you can kind of parse things differently than, for instance, again, just the output of cat proc CPU info. Okay, next in line is LSIPC. This is, as you can imagine, a way to list the IPC facilities in use on your system right now. Remember from uh, the previous episode when we were still, that when we were talking about Util Linux, so that's uh, episode. Uh, 13. Oh, I lost it. Well, anyway, it's an ep- it's an episode uh, with a big. There it is. 1331. Big code block in the show notes. Uh, 1331. It, sh- it. We were talking about the IPC list or the um, IPC commands. So this is the LS IPC command, and it it displays the interprocess communication facilities for which uh, the calling process has read access. So if I just do ls ipc, I get a table, a couple of different columns, listing the the current IPC, the interprocess communication uh, resources, descriptions, the limit, whether they're being used, the use percentage, and so on. So for instance, resource, here's here's one that here's one that isn't zero. So um, here's um, SHMMNI, that's the shared memory segments. The limit is 4096. Used is 62. Use is 1.51%. Contrast that to, for instance, the SEMMNI, the number of semaphore identifiers. 32,000 is the limit. Used 0. Use percent is 0%. And once again, you can change how that is displayed. I kind of feel like I might have already talked about this in the IPC episode, but if I didn't, now you know this is how you can get a list of the ones that are that are that that have been created and that are being used and that are active. And of course, in the IPC episode, I, I gave some sample code on uh, providing a way for you to actually be able to create an interprocess communication uh, and then you could you could look at that in action with LS IPC okay next one in the list LS block LS locks and then there's LS logins and then we're done with the L series so let's do LS locks first because it's in the that's the order that we encountered it so LS locks is list local system locks this lists information about all the currently held file locks in a Linux system. This is pretty useful. It, it is what it says it is. It, it, it lists the current file locks. The, the killer feature of this command, I guess, is that you can output it in, in a couple of different formats. So that's useful. Just, just like the other LS ones, you can kind of tell it which column to include or not include. Um, so that's kind of nice. I'm going to do ls locks and pipe it through less. And 
you'll get, um, again, a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 8 column table it looks like, and it starts with, for instance, a, a command, and then the PID of the command, and then the type of uh, file lock that we're looking at, the size, the mode, the start, the end, and the path. So for instance, here's here's a good one. Here's a here's something that we can all understand, or rather that we can all not understand. So here's um, DHCPCD. That actually does make sense. Here's an Akonadi, Akonadi Balu underscore I. It's uh, PID 1759. It's an OFDLCK. It's zero bytes. It's in write mode. It is located in my home directory in .local share balu email contacts slash f uh, flintlock is is what it is what the file is. So there you go. That's that's a file that that file is locked. It is owned by the Akhenatai or the balu or the both processes. And if anything else ever tries to write to that or to, to remove that file, of course it will be prevented because it's, it's locked. You can't do that. That's useful. That's a good thing. There are lots of other examples. Lots of other examples. And and quite possibly you might be um you might be surprised at how many file locks are open on your system at any given time. So it's kind of an interesting exercise to go through and and take a look at at what's going on on your system. Now in mind there's a bunch of MySQLD ones, again, because of Akhenatai, so the KDE desktop and the file indexing thing, um, probably, honestly, just probably still overactive for the, well, it's, de I should say it this way, it is definitely overactive for the use that it gets from me. I, I don't use um, I don't use this sort of thing. I do not search my file system through my desktop ever, so it's just not one of those things that is a useful feature to me, at least in my current workflow. I leave it running because I keep waiting for it to crash, and it does not crash. That didn't used to be the case. In the early days of KDE, the, the file indexing stuff was really, really not very stable, very frustrating. It was something that typically, I think, I feel like me and a lot of other people just turned it off summarily and it's kind of interesting to see that it's that's been humming away for for days and days and days now and um there's not been a problem with it as far as i can tell uh if there's been a problem it's been silent and it hasn't bothered me about it uh, and it hasn't seemed to affect my system so that's that's it that's that's ls lock um like i say you can you can change the output format. So, for instance, we could do ls lock, uh, ls locks uh, dash dash JSON, and we get a, a JSON representation of the same data. So that's obviously useful if you, if for, for some reason you need, you need all that data in a different format. Uh, and JSON is is fairly, you know, I I feel like that's pretty universal. And certainly, you could pipe that into a Python or something like that and do something fancy with it. You can do a dash dash no headings, so you don't get the header line on your in your columns. You can do um, the dash o, or or rather dash dash output, and then give it a list of things to to display. So, for instance, if we do ls locks piped to less again, 
we see that the file headings are command, pid, size, and so on. So let's just do an ls locks dash dash output and we'll just list command and let's just do pid just for for demonstration. So that's ls locks dash dash output equals command comma pid. And then you get a you get the output of, of just the command column and just the PID column. So you can kind of filter out things, and, and you can, you'd certainly do, um, I don't know, what was the other one, path, I think? Yeah, path. So now we've got command, uh, PID, and path. So, or, and you could, you could do it just command and path. It's flexible, that's what I'm trying to, to demonstrate here. So that's ls locks. And then finally, the command ls logins, which is, going to display information about known users on your system. This it does this by looking at the WTMP file and the B or the WTMP log and the the BTMP log which I believe I've I've talked about before. The command is pretty simple. You type in ls logins and you get a list of known users on your system. It's a little table. There's UID, there's user, proc, um, the last login and so on. So you can limit, you can you can kind of filter down what you're actually looking at because it, it it'll show you all the user accounts on your system, including humans and also uh, processes. So like a user account that needed to be created for Apache or for Pulse or SSHD or Nobody or ClamAV or whatever it might be. Now, if you don't want to see the extra ones, the non-human ones, then you can do ls-logins-u, or I think it's dash-uid, uh, probably. And that, no, it's not dash-uid, sorry. Um, let's find out what that is really quick. Man ls-logins, all the way down to the bottom here. Oh, dash-user-accs. That just, that's, a, that's an appealing, long... Um, long option. So ls logins dash dash user dash accs and then you get the the only the 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 real you know people who can actually log in with fingers um, or or whatever they use to log in. So you get in in this case you got root and you got clat2. You can filter it also or rather you can include let's so we'll go back here we'll do it capital or uh, ls logins dash dash groups I think nope dash dash group singular no again uh, dash dash sup groups <laughs> oh man dash dash sup supp dash groups and that shows you the supplemental group IDs to which this user belongs. Oh, and it shows you the human readable ones too. I didn't even notice that over on the right here. So yeah, you, you've got all the all the information about these users. So you've got Clatu here, you've got the group ID of of the primary group, you've got the group to which Clatu belongs, you've got supplemental groups to which Clatu belongs. That's handy, and one reason that it is very handy is because you can now filter by the groups. So, for instance, if you only want to see users who belong to the um, the uh, let's see the wheel group dash dash groups wheel, now it, it filters that down. So again, root and clat two. So that didn't really do all that much, I guess. But I mean, that's 
that's how I would use it. And that's how you might use it as well. Uh, here's here's one. So ls logins dash dash groups floppy. And there's one user now, because root is not in the group floppy, uh, but clatu is. So you can kind of manipulate what you're looking at with ls logins by filtering through information that, that might have some some meaning to you. You can also tell it to look elsewhere for the btmp file or the wtmp file. And then finally you can, or not finally, there's, there's, the man page is pretty extensive. You can look, you can look through it and you'll get, get an idea of all the different things you can do. There's, there's quite a bit. But one thing I, I, I want to highlight here is that you can look at the, uh, the, the times that they logged in at. Now again, on, on a system where I'm the only user, this is not all that interesting. Uh, but but you do get to see like the last login uh, for actually I, I think that shows you yeah it, it actually shows you the last login without an option but there isn't an option specifically for it which is dash dash last and that kind of makes the whole table about when they last logged in it shows you the the time and day that they logged in last it shows you the host name that they that they logged into on and the tty the um the you know which console they were that they logged in through so that's information straight out of the you know out of the w command like if you just type in li literally the letter w uh you get most of that information from that but i don't know if you're using last uh, list logins anyway and you, and you want that information in a different format then you can you can get it with dash dash last or just dash capital L. That is everything for ls logins, meaning that that is all of the L commands in util Linux in the user bin directory. Next up are the m commands. There's mcookie and mesg, and then we'll be in the ins. When does it stop? Well, actually, I think it kind of stops with user bin. So we're, we're getting really close to the end of Linux finally. And then we'll be able to pick up with whatever's after Linux. Stay tuned for that in the future. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. listening to the GNU World Order AugCast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AugCast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. Of course, you can email me at clatu at member.fsf.org. That's clatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time.
cactus. You can't judge a book by looking at his cover.